Welcome to the Sunday morning worship service on this Father's Day, June the 16th, 1985, at Indianapolis First Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Stipp, and I will be bringing the morning message entitled, The Ideal Father. We trust that as you share this service through our cassette ministry, that the Spirit of Lord will speak to your heart in a very special and meaningful way. Some of you probably heard this before, but it goes along with Father's Day. God made fathers just the right size. When the good Lord was creating fathers, he started with a tall frame. And a female angel nearby said, what kind of father is that? If you're going to make children so close to the ground, why have you put fathers up so high? He won't be able to shoot marbles without bending his knees or tuck a child in bed without bending over or even kiss a child without a lot of stooping. And God smiled and said, yes, but if I make him child size, then who would children have to look up to? And when God made a father's hands, they were very large and sinewy. And the angel shook her head sadly and said, do you know what you're doing? Large hands are clumsy. They can't manage diaper pins, small buttons, rubber bands on ponytails, or even remove splinters caused by baseball bats. God smiled and said, I know, but they're large enough to hold everything a small boy empties from his pocket at the end of the day, and yet small enough to cup a child's face in its hands. And then God molded long, slim legs and broad shoulders, and the angel nearly had a heart attack. Boy, this is the end of the week, all right, she clucked. Do you realize you just made a father without a lap? Well, how's he going to pull a child close to him without the kid falling between his legs? God smiled and said, a mother needs a lap. A father needs strong shoulders to pull a sled, balance a boy on a bicycle, and hold a sleepy head all the way home from a busy day. God was in the middle of creating two of the largest feet anyone had ever seen when the angel could not contain herself any longer. That's not fair. Do you honestly think those large boats are going to dig themselves out of the bed early in the morning when the baby cries? Or walk through the small birthday party without crushing at least three of the guests? God smiled and said, they'll work. You see, they're, they'll support a small child who wants to ride a horse to Banbury Cross or scare off mice at the summer cabin or display shoes that will challenge anyone to fill. God worked all through the night, giving the father a few words, but a firm, authoritative voice, eyes that saw everything, but remained calm and tolerant. Finally, almost as an afterthought, he added tears. And then he turned to the angel and he said, now, are you satisfied that a father can love just as effectively as a mother? Then the angel shutteth up. <laughs> That's from Irma Bombeck. Some of you recognize that. I wanted to preach a sermon this morning on the ideal father. That can be difficult, you know, because who do you use for an example? I'm not going to use myself, that's for sure. I feel like some of you do a much better job at being a father than I do. Some of you would say, well, I don't feel like I'm doing such a good job either, but uh, you could use my father as an example, which kind of tells you how we think about one another. 
But I think I can choose a father who would be accepted by all of us. And that father is God. And you say, well, that, that really doesn't fit. You know, we're talking about a different kind of relationship on Father's Day. But, you know, the scripture says in Ephesians 5 that relationship between a husband and wife is really the picture between Christ and his church. And if you follow that same kind of logic and thinking, I think we can also make analogy and say this, that we have a lot to learn about the relationship between the heavenly father and his son. And those of us that are father, fathers and our sons and daughters and how to treat them. So I want to pull five elements from the word of God today given to us by our heavenly father on really how to be good fathers. Turn with me to Luke 2, verse 7, Luke chapter 2. Verse seven, and this is the first principle. I'm going to pull out elements or principles that God used with his son. You know, there's really not too much in the scripture when you really start looking for it about the details of the relationship that Jesus shared with his father. And this is this is an inferring sort of uh, passage in Luke two. And it's very simple. You know it from the Christmas story. It's about Jesus birth. But I think there's something we can learn from it. Talks about Mary giving birth to her firstborn son. And then scripture says, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I think God had a lot to do with that. And I think there's something we can learn because I, the first element that I think God wants us to look at is a value system. Have you ever wondered why God allowed his son to be born in a stable manger? when really he could have chosen anywhere, any place in the world for Jesus to be born. There could have been a number of reasons, I guess, and we can look at that question theologically and we can look at it. Well, it couldn't have been done out in the open and all kinds of answers. But I think one of the things that God was saying to us that he does not put a premium on externals like we do. That he was more concerned with the presence of angels and the holy presence and recognition in the proper way those were the most important things to God. And from the very first day that Jesus was born, God was saying something to his son. God was not impressed with his son being surrounded with finery because Jesus never was. And if you were to describe the birth of Jesus and say, let's just pick a word that describes how Jesus came into the world, what word would you use? You think of words that we use around Christmas time when we think of, well, it was a humble birth. It was a lowly birth. But God was saying to us something about a value system that we need to think of instilling into our children from day one of those things that are most important in life. And also, I think if we were to take an inventory today of just this crowd and find out if you're really succeeding and successful in life and feel good about yourself, what kind of beginnings did you have and what kind of upbringing did you did you receive? And many would say I've come from a very lowly beginning. We had a speaker last night at the men's banquet and he described that they were just very, very poor in growing up in southern Indiana. That's not true of all people. You don't have to be poor to be successful, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that you, although you don't have to be poor, but through those early training years, something must be instilled in our children to let them know that there's more to life than fame and fortune. And that's in the value system. 
So the first element of a good father is to instill in the child a proper sense of value. What are the most important things in life? And God began to teach his son from the very first day he was born. There's another verse, if you haven't turned from that, it's also in the same chapter. Luke 2.52. And I think probably most of the kids could quote Luke 2.52. I think maybe you had that one in children's church or Sunday school or something where Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased, what's the rest of it, kids? In wisdom, yeah, I can see you saying it. In wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. We hear a lot in our world today, a lot in Christian circles about goals. You know, I go, this is such a simple verse. But as I was preparing for this message, uh, it seemed like God said to me, these are really all the goals that you need. And I think God was bringing this verse in and saying to us that he was concerned about his son increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor in relationship with himself and in favor with other men. The four goals of life are wisdom. That's knowledge. And dads, I think as we work with our kids, we should be concerned about the, the mental kind of goals that they have. Academic kind of goals. And wisdom just not, doesn't apply is knowledge, it's applied knowledge. Not only to get information into their brain, but to show them how to use it. That's wisdom. The Proverbs are a great help at that point. Even your financial goals would come into this because the wise use of money is so taught in the Scripture. So the, the wisdom kind of goals. Proverbs speaks to us to get understanding and with it, get wisdom and know how to marry those two together so that we can be productive in life. And, and if God was concerned about Jesus growing in wisdom, then we need to be concerned about our children growing in wisdom. Goal number one. The second goal is in stature. Well, we're all different sizes, different shapes, and we're not going to we're not going to just by training teach our kids to be six, five or eight or seven, two or four feet, ten. God determines that. But there are some physical goals that we can look at for our children to help them be achievers in life to receive God's potential. There's nothing wrong with having some athletic goals if your child should be inclined that way. Or music goals, should they be inclined that way? But you see, children have a difficult time of setting goals themselves, and that's why they need moms and dads. And especially, I see it, the part of the dads, just to begin to work with their family and setting goals physically, talent-wise, to develop a use of a skill with your hands, where it might be crafts or woodcrafting or something that you can work with them and say, let's do this this year. God was not only concerned about Jesus growing in wisdom, but also the stature and the and the and, and I think God was concerned about him learning a trade and doing it well and responsibility. So the second goal would be a physical goal. The scripture says that Jesus increased in stature. The next goal that we need to develop with our children is the goal of being in favor with God. And I call that the spiritual goal. There are four goals that you need with your kids. One's wisdom. One is a, the second is a physical goal. The third one is a spiritual goal. And basically that area comes in their, covers in their lives the area of prayer, the area of witnessing, and the area of the Word of God. It's important that we work with our children 
to teach them how to have spiritual goals. And I've got a lot to learn in this area. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't make it any easier than my life than it is in your life. But it's something that as dads, we need to take the spiritual leadership and help our kids know to learn how to set and to accomplish spiritual goals in their lives. And the last thing that God records in his word where he was concerned about Jesus increasing was in the was in the social area of life favor with men. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with men. And here's where your family goals come in and the goals of others. You have goals in reaching out both to the church and people that are not churched. And so you sit down with your kids and you work with them in their lives and you begin to help them establish social goals. I think that's so important today because society would teach us. And here's one of the benefits of a church. The church seems to be saying we really need one another when society wants to kind of isolate itself and say, in effect, I don't need you. I can operate in my own little world. So we need to teach our kids through the guidance of the scripture and under the instruction of the church to reach out and have social goals and to realize that we don't live unto ourselves, that we're in this thing together and to have the social goals in life. Element number three. The first one is a correct value system. The second one are established goals in life. And I think God helped Jesus do do those things. But the next one is recorded in two places. Matthew 317 and Matthew 175, the two different episodes. One would be the baptism of Jesus and next would be the transfiguration of Jesus. And God said the very same thing in both those places. You know what he said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, that's recorded in Scripture to give us further insight into the relationship of father, son, heavenly father and the deified son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, which is a third element that we as parents and especially fathers need to instill in our kids is this area of praise. God told Jesus he was pleased with him. I am well. Wonder what that did for Jesus. Would you hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my son and I'm pleased with him. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, listen to him. And not only, here's another important point, not only did he tell Jesus, but he told those who were close to Jesus so they knew how he felt too. And I think, I think Jesus needed that. And I think our children need that. I used to live for the praise of my father. I would go play, I, I played basketball from the time I could just about dribble the thing and it was almost bigger than I was until I got to senior in high school. But I don't care what game it was. I don't care if it was a county tournament. I don't care if it was the first game of the season. I don't care if my freshman year, my sophomore year, my senior year, or if I was a fifth grader. I'd finish that game and whether we won or lost, we'd be excited or else depressed in the locker room and everybody would be talking about the game. We'd be patting ourselves on the back and a coach would come over. We'd ride on the bus all the way home and if we won, we'd be cheering, singing songs and all that kind of thing. And I always reserved my whole judgment for that game. For the time where I got off the bus and got into the car and said, Dad, how'd I do? Because that was the most important thing. And you can identify with those things in your life. You live for the praise of your dad. It's very, very important. That's why I think we're seeing something in Scripture when God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
Dr. James Dobson wrote in his book this story. The book is entitled How to Begin Self-Esteem. It's really the major title is Hide and Seek. He began his life in the classic handicaps and disadvantages. His mother was a powerfully built, dominating woman who found it difficult to love anyone. She had been married three times and her second husband divorced her because she beat him up regularly. The father of the child I'm describing was her third husband. He died of a heart attack a few weeks, a few months before the child's birth. As a consequence, then the mother had to go to work and really supported this child and was able to give him very little attention. She gave him no affection, no love, no discipline, no training during those early years. She even forbade him to call her at work. Other children had little to do with him, so he was alone most of the time. He was absolutely rejected in his earliest childhood. He was ugly and poor, untrained and unlovable. When he was 13 years old, a school psychologist commented that he probably didn't even know the meaning of the word love. And during adolescence, the girls had nothing to do with him and he fought with the boys. Despite a high IQ, he failed academically and finally dropped out during his third year of high school. He thought he might find a new acquaintance and new acceptance in the Marine Corps because they reportedly built men and he wanted to be one desperately. But his problems went with him. The other Marines laughed at him and ridiculed him. He fought back. He resisted authority. He was court-martialed and thrown out of the Marines for undesi an undesirable discharge. So there he was, a young man in his early 20s, absolutely friendless, shipwrecked. He was small and scrawny in nature. He had an adolescent squeaky voice. He was balding. He had no talent, no skill, no self-worth. He didn't even have a driver's license. He was at the bottom. So once again, he thought he could run for his problems, and the story goes on to say how he went out of the United States to a foreign country, and he was even rejected there. And But while he was out of the country, he married a young woman. And she bore him two children, but they never enjoyed the status and respect he didn't that a father should have. His marriage continued to crumble. His wife demanded more and more things from him, and he could not provide them. Instead of being his ally against the bitter world, as he had hoped, she became his vicious opponent. She could outfight him, and she learned how to bully him. On one occasion, she, knocked, she locked him in the bathroom as punishment, and finally, she forced him to leave. And he tried to make it on his own, but he was terribly lonely. After days of solitude, he went home and literally begged her to take him back. He surrendered all of his pride. He crawled. He accepted humiliation. He came in on her terms. Despite his meager salary, he brought her $78 as a gift, asking her to please take it and to spend it as she wished. But she laughed at him. She belittled his feeble attempts to supply the family needs. She ridiculed his, fa his failure. She made fun of his sexual impotence in front of a friend who was there, and at one point he fell on his knees and wept bitterly as the greater darkness of the private night bear mare enveloped around him. Finally, in silence, he pleaded no more. No one wanted him. No one had ever wanted him. He was probably perhaps the most rejected man of our time. His ego lay shattered in a fragmented dust. The next day, he became strangely a different man. He arose, he went to the garage and took down a rifle he had hidden there. 
He carried it with him to a newly acquired job site at a bookstore building and from a window on the sixth floor of that building shortly after noon, November 22nd, 1963. He sent two shells crashing into the head of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald. And Dr. Dobson said, while many others respond less aggressively, this same consuming awareness of inadequacy can be seen in every avenue of life, in every neighborhood, every church, and on every campus in America. I have observed that the vast majority of those between 12 and 20 years of age are bitterly disappointed with who they are and what they represent. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It is so important to praise our children. The fourth element is found in Matthew 14, 23. It's found in Luke 9, 18. But I, if you're going to look one up, I would encourage you to look this one up. Mark 1, 35. While you're looking that one up, the other two talk about Jesus going somewhere and praying alone. And those are not the only two. We could list a half a dozen at this point. Where Jesus is alone and Jesus is alone here and he's left the disciples here. And the scripture talks about being alone. And the one I gave you to look up and Jesus rising a great deal before dawn departed to a solitary place and there prayed. And the scripture infers that Jesus was alone, but he wasn't alone. See, he was spending time with his father. And that's another element in this father-son relationship that we need to look at, the element of time. And I guess this, if I were to confess this morning, this is where I need help. And I've talked to some of you, and I think that's where you need help. And I think some of you are probably doing much better at this point than I am. But many things seem to come in to plague our lives. A little scenario that happened in my life just a couple weeks ago it was on a Saturday. I had a district meeting on Saturday morning. It lasted into the afternoon. It lasted into the first half of my son's ball game. And I got there to the second half and saw maybe a couple innings. And I had another commitment that I had to take care of. Just as the game ended, I left and I went my way and then began to make some rounds for open houses and saw many of you there that day. My family was busy going home and and uh, getting the meal ready and getting the kids' clothes changed and all that goes along with that. But as I was driving from house to house that day, I felt guilty. <laughs> you ever feel guilty as a dad? I felt guilty. I, I, my mind went back to the times when dad would watch me play baseball. And I can honestly say this morning, from the fifth grade up till two years past high school, my dad saw every game I played. I don't know how he did it. I mean, he's running his own business. Don't ask me how he did it. He just did it. He put it in his schedule. It became a priority. Things that I realize now that I, I just took for granted then. And my son's been in Little League. I think this is his, you know, his first year in the real Little League without the Pee Wees. But he, uh, it's his first year, and I think I missed three games already. And I, I was going on a guilt trip. You can see where I was headed. I was thinking, you know, this isn't fair. I, I'm not being a good dad. So the more I thought about it, the, I kept going from home to home and I made it to, the, to all the open houses I was scheduled to that day and I came back. I said, Kevin, put on your shoes. We're going to go somewhere. I said, where are we going? I said, and the girls were listening at this point. I said, well, we're just going somewhere. 
He put on his shoes and we went over to Ellenberger Park and just walked around for an hour. That's the first time I've ever done that. But I know it's not going to be the last. We just, you know, we didn't have anything that we were supposed to talk about. We just walked around and, you know, at first he was kind of following me along and then I noticed something. The more we walked together, he kind of, he had been there before. He said, hey, Dad, you know about this over here? And he started taking me around. It was a, just a great time. But it took time. You know, Dave Watson talks about making memories with your kids. You know, I think that, that hour was probably more beneficial to me than it was to Kevin. And the only thing I think I asked him that really just kind of came up in conversation, I Kevin, you ever been frustrated? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, me too. Me too. I would just threw rocks together and explored together and ran through the creek together and just a bunch of stuff. The hardest thing was coming home then and having two sisters that said, where you guys been? <laughs> and wondering why they didn't get to go. So I have to plan to take time as a father for each member of the family. One of the strongest verses I think that's in the Bible at this context is this. And Jesus chose 12 to be with him. That was their calling to be with him. And the only way that we're going to impart to our kids what we want in their lives is to be with them. And I don't care what your profession is. We can all be as busy or as attentive to our family as we want to be. You've also heard Dr. Dobson use this, but it speaks to me and I hope it speaks to you. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but they were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before it, before I knew it, and he grew. He'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know? I'm going to be like you. And then there's a little chorus that goes through this song by Cat Stevens, and it says, And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? And I said, well, you know, I got a lot to do. And he said, well, that's okay. And he walked away. But his smile never, never dimmed. And it said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and the little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? Well, I, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he, he came home from college the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. you. Can you sit for a while? And he shook my hand and he said with a smile, well, I'd really like to, Dad, but can I borrow the car keys? See you later. Can I have them, please? When are you coming home, son? Well, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. 
He said, I'd love to, Dad, but I can't find the time. You see, I, the new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy, just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? Well, I, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Yeah, you know, we'll have a good time then. And I don't know if that song haunts you like it haunts me. Can you remember conversations you've had with members of your family? I tuck my boy into bed at night and I hear him say probably 25 or 30 times now since we've started the project, Dad, when are we going to finish that board? You know, for the train to run on, we got it started, and when are we going to finish that board? And I say, well, I don't know, Kevin, but we're going to get to it. And we do other things, and we crowd other things in, but there's some things we need to go back to. And I've been reminded by this sermon, if I'm going to be a good Tad, it's going to take time. And Jesus went alone to a solitary place and there spent time with his father. Newspaper ad read something like this. Lost yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes. No reward is offered for, you see, they are, they're gone forever. Dobson also says in that same book, if America is going to survive the incredible stresses and dangers it now faces, it will be because husbands and fathers again take their places of priority. With their families at the highest level of the system, with priorities and reserving a portion of their time and energy for the leadership within their homes. And Dobson says the Western world stands at the great crossroads in history. And it is my opinion, he says, that our very survival as a people will depend on the presence or the absence of masculine leadership in millions of homes. Time. The last element to be a good dad. It's in John 17. Again, I want to use two verses that speak of Jesus' relationship with his father. That come from the 17th chapter of John, which is the high priestly prayer. And Jesus said this. Even as thou has given me authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given me, he may give eternal life. In that I see that God had given Jesus authority. And in verse 4, the other verse I want to use, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see, the, the fifth element that I see is the element of responsibility. The Father granted to Jesus authority, and you can't have authority without responsibility. And Jesus finished the work God had given him to do. And we need to grant authority and responsibility to the extent that our children are able to stand alone, because that's what God was preparing him to do. The ultimate test of standing alone was when he was crucified. But you see, Jesus was being prepared for that because he was alone when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was alone in the trials of life when he had to uh, address the attacks of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he went to pray alone in Gethsemane. 
And it was alone that he went to the cross to die for you and me. Jesus stood alone, but his father had brought him along in their relationship. So he was preparing himself for that day. And he had also given him responsibility and authority that Jesus carried out. One of the most impressive testimonies I ever heard from a teenager was a couple years ago at FCA camp, Michelle Carpenter. And she told the rest of the kids that year how she was standing alone in her high school and standing for Jesus. Something had to help her to prepare to come to that point of being willing to be able to say, I'm going to stand alone for Christ. And we have to teach that to our kids. And it was interesting to me that we began a Bible study yesterday for singles. You know who originated that Bible study? Michelle Carpenter. You see, when you are willing to stand alone, there are great rewards and benefits. And I'm out of time for my sermon. There are a few more things I would like to say, but let me just say in summary this. And you probably already picked it up by implication anyway. I'm not just speaking to fathers today. The things that I've said have been directed to fathers and the applications are there, not only for you, but for me. But also, if we were to all take inventory, we could go down all five of those elements and to see how you stand personally with your heavenly father. What's your value system? Have you learned it from God or have you learned it from someone else or someplace else? What's your goals? Are you asking God in your personal life? What are the goals I should have in my life this year for wisdom? What are the physical goals I should have? Are there spiritual goals in my life when I can just say, yes, this is what it is. God told me to work on that this year. And what's your social goals? Are you allowing God to speak to you to say, as pastors challenges for friend day, I need to work on this person. That's part of my social life. And I can tie that into a spiritual goal. Is God talking to you that way? We can all take inventory regarding our goals this morning. And how about praise? Do you find yourself praising him? And another question that comes back to each one of us, do you find him praising you? If you had those times when you feel like you just know God's praising you or you get blessed or he gives you something in your life and you say, I don't deserve this. And God is saying to you, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He will, you know, when we praise him out of our lives, he praises us back and time. Do you find yourself alone with him? Queen Elizabeth's last words were this, all my possessions for a moment of time. And are we spending time with our heavenly father? And lastly, as God talked to you about your responsibilities, are you doing what he wants you to do? And are you willing to stand alone? Because you see, everything that we want to impart and we feel like it's good for our children We've got to be able to set by example and say, that's also good for me in my life. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The scripture, I think, gives us the principles, not only to be good dads, but to be good moms and parents and to be good examples for our families, those that he's entrusted to us. I thank him for the guidance that he gives to us through his word.
Shall we stand together, please? Let's share in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, today, through the mystery of your word, you've laid down elements and principles, gems from the scripture. It's so easy sometimes just to read over over them and not get caught in the implications of what you're trying to say. But we want to thank you that your word speaks to us. If we'll take time, then the Holy Spirit is able to open our minds and our hearts to able to see ourselves. And thank you, Father, that you're not coming in to heap guilt on us. But if there's something in a revelation that comes to our mind and our heart, you're simply asking us to change to be better. And I don't think there's a person in the room this morning, Father, that would not say, Lord, I need your help. To be the mom, to be the dad, to be the Christian I need to be, I just can't make it alone. And we thank you for your presence today, for the privilege of worship. And we thank you for this time that we've had to share. In Christ's name, amen.